0: Tonight is going to serve as the absolute rubber-meets-the-road wrap-up lesson of our current sermon series on God's required qualifications for elders and their wives before we begin the selection process. I hope that each and every one here, each and every one at home, each and every one who receives the bulletin, has read this week's vital article on this subject as well. That bulletin article was put together in an effort to help us to perhaps simplify this process for each and every one of us, while at the same time, obviously, keeping it ultimately scriptural. In the fourth paragraph of that article, it says this. Instead of wording, thinking of, or considering it solely as whom are we going to propose as our potential new elders, we need to change our wording, thinking, and consideration or perspective to, what brother in Christ do I know who possesses every single one of these biblical qualities which God requires? as we have covered in this Sunday night sermon series. Then, we need to take the name of any man we think possibly might and start going down through God's biblical list of required qualifications one by one. The fourth paragraph continues. The first quality or qualification we come to that that particular man does not meet or possess We need to remove him from further consideration at this time. It's as simple as that. Just because he's not appointed now does not mean he cannot be later on. Once he has grown to possess the quality or qualification which he may be currently lacking, then we need to select another man's name and do the same thing. At the end of this process, we may only have one, Two, three, or perhaps no man's name at all to submit whom we believe meets or possesses every single quality or requirement of God. If so, that's okay. Because our first only and total allegiance and loyalty is to God Almighty and to no other. But there's one glitch in this system, so to speak, One seeming glitch in this otherwise pretty simple process. What if you want to submit a man's name and you don't know the answer to a particular question or qualification for that man for sure. You just, you don't really know the answer to the question. Seems like a good servant, seems to meet most of them as far as you know, but you just don't know the answer. What do you do then? The answer is so, <laughs> so incredibly simple and so incredibly biblical, it is hard to believe it is so unpracticed and neglected. Here's the answer. Don't just guess. Don't go ask everyone else about your brother. Go. Ask your brother. Simple as that. Instead of or before assuming or asking anybody else. I'll tell you why I say that, and, and and it's a it's a general concept, it's biblical truth, but it's a general concept. We need to do that more anyway. You know, it's so easy sometimes to get an opinion about something with a brother or a sister. Because somebody else said something. If you want to know the truth, what's the best thing to do? Go to that brother or sister and ask them. What would you prefer? You know, the Bible says do unto others. You'd have them do unto you. What would you prefer? Doug Dingley hears this thing about brother or sister so and so and goes, really? What would you prefer brother Doug Dingley did? Went and talked to 12 other people about you or came to you, what would you prefer? Same thing I would if you hear things about Doug Dingley. Please come talk to me. And we need to do this more in every situation, but truly in this one, and, and I'll tell you why. This, this truth, this concept. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel, it's in Genesis 11, but Genesis 11:6, the English Standard Version says, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Why would nothing they propose be impossible? Because they could communicate. They were all one people, they all had the same language, they could talk to each other. In other words, God is saying in Genesis 11:6, if they can communicate, they can accomplish anything. Husbands and wives, is that true? If you can really communicate, can you get further and do more together? So can we as brothers and sisters. This concept is biblical, it's truthful, and it's honest all the way around. So. If you don't know the answer to a particular question or qualification and you would really like to submit that man's name, go to him and ask him. Listen. When God wanted us to know exactly who he is, what did he do? When God wanted for us to know exactly who he is, what did God do? I will tell you what God do. God sent us a communication. The word became flesh to dwell among us. That's what he did. He took on human form and he sent this human form, all that he is, communication to us so that we could see who he truly is. A walking, talking, exact icon or representation of his being, as Kirk talked about on January the 27th. You know, most everybody today, churched, unchurched, atheist, whomever, denominationalist, most everybody today (coughs) has an opinion about God, don't they? Who's God? And you can ask a thousand different people who God is and you can get a thousand different answers. But both you and I know that other people's knowledge and opinion of who God is cannot always be trusted, don't we? We understand, you can ask a whole bunch of people who God is. They've all got their opinion, but you can't trust everything everybody says about God. So, what is the best way to truly, fully, legitimately know and understand who God is? What's the best way? Go to God. Go to his word. Go find out who he is. Go to him directly. Now, by directly, I mean read his word. Discover his son, Jesus Christ, in the word and understand that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, John 14 and verse six, right? Because Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, Colossians 1.15 and 2.9, as Joel did such a nice job of last Wednesday night. If you have a question about who God is, the best way to find out is to go to God. Similarly, I can say that word, similarly, if you have a question or concern about your brother, about anything, and you need an answer, even when it comes to one of these qualifications, the best way to find out is to go to your brother, directly, ask him, talk to him, discuss it with him. Then you're gonna know. But, speaking of going to your brother, tonight's sermon, I wanna take that a whole other level higher. Said this was rubber meets the road, and it is. As we consider God's selection and our submission of certain husbands' and wives' names for their potential appointment to the work of being an elder and his wife, the likelihood of this scenario that I am about to describe happening is very possible. Here's the scenario. This scenario is for the rest of the lesson. Let's say that you have a brother and his wife who meets every one of God's qualifications as we have covered them. Let's just the man and his wife meet every qualification of God that we have covered. We go down through the list and they do. In other words, again, let me reiterate, they are currently everything God said they must be, current tense, in order to become an elder and his wife. They meet God's qualifications, okay? But despite the fact that God has said they are currently biblically qualified, you, have a problem with or are uncomfortable with them becoming an elder and his wife for whatever other personal reason you may have against them. And it could be one of a countless number of personally held or personally harbored reasons. Could be, perhaps, because some years ago when neither one of you had grown in the point or had grown to the point in your Christianity that you have now, that you had a disagreement with that brother or sister. One that didn't go real well, one that could have been handled probably a lot better on both sides than it was. And although you can say you've forgiven them, there may still occasionally be those phantom hard feelings from time to time that arise. And so maybe, even though they meet God's qualifications, you you might think, maybe, that if that brother is put into a position of power, as we consider the eldership to be, but those who are elders realize it's not about power, it's about servanthood, but anyway, the work of an elder. But, but that visibility, and, and you think that if that brother whom you had that disagreement with years ago when you were both a lot more immature in Christ than you are now, and it might not have gone all that well. You feel as though that if he's put in as an elder, there might be repercussions, or repercussions, however you prefer to pronounce it. You know, that happened in the story of Joseph, didn't it? In the fact that Joseph and his brothers had a real big problem. And Joseph, through God's providence, gained a position of power, isn't that right? But do you remember when those brothers remembered all those years ago when when none of them were the people they necessarily were now? way back then in all those problems. Remember what they thought when Joseph, they thought Joseph was gonna do to them? But that isn't who Joseph was. He, uh, He, if you read Genesis 45 through 50, took care of them, loved them, comforted them. And I'd like to further remind us that in a scenario we are discussing, we are talking about a brother and his wife who currently meets all of God's biblical requirements. They are temperate. Holy, just, self-controlled. And so this man and his wife are one who have proven that you don't have to fear their appointment, that somehow they're going to reduce themselves back to some form of immaturity or get evenism. That's not who they are in Christ. And so there's no need to fear his appointment to serve the Lord and you as God's elder or shepherd other possible scenarios. Same man and his wife, they meet all of God's requirements, but you have this problem with them being an elder and his wife. Perhaps it's a brother or even his wife with whom you've had a difference of opinion, maybe a strong one, over disputable matters. Over matters of opinion, Romans 14. And so even though they still meet all of God's requirements, you don't want them to become an elder and his wife because you're still harboring some personal resentment or something against them. Maybe they don't agree with you on every aspect of politics. Do we have to agree on every aspect of politics in order for man to be an elder and his wife? Where is that in 1 Timothy 3? No, we don't have to. We don't have to agree on every little nuance and disputable matter and difference of opinion. Perhaps there was a time in the past when you thought that either this man or his wife had personally ought to have stood up for you when they instead were convicted they had to stand up to you. Or maybe the problem between the two of you comes down to nothing more than a simple misunderstanding, but of course, you don't know that because you've never gone to the brother and talked about it. In each and every one of those cases, you know deep in your heart this man and his wife meet the qualifications, but you are still not comfortable with them becoming an elder and his wife for what other reason you might personally harbor or have against them, what's the answer? How do you deal with that? What do you do with it? God said yes. You say no. What do you do with that? I have to sit down for about 30 seconds, let you think about that. But I won't. Same answer. The answer is the same exact one that we talked about earlier about needing to know the answer regarding your brother. Go to your brother or sister, and work it out. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Please turn there. I'm not just telling you this because it's good advice. I'm not telling you this because I sat home all afternoon and thought, hmm, that might be a good idea. I'm telling you this because that's what God said to do. Matthew 18 and verse 15, we're not going to a lot of scripture tonight, so take this one in strong, if your brother sins against you, go And tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. How many times has Matthew 18, 15 been whited out in our Bibles? If your brother sins against you, go to him One version says privately, and that's obviously contextually correct here, tell him his fault between you and him alone. And you know, where we're mostly talking here about a difference of opinion or a personality conflict instead of a biblical or doctrinal difference or conflict, you know what happens after you talk to your brother or sister? You know what could very well happen? You might still disagree. Think of the world we live in today. All this fighting, whatever realm you want to put it in, I don't care, all of this fighting is because this person disagrees with this person and both of these people think that they have got to get the other one to knuckle under and do it their way. Is that about right? We cannot be friends if you do not do this my way. I'm not even, you're gonna become my enemy if you don't do it the way I tell you to do it because I'm right and you ain't. Comes to matters of opinion in the church, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves if we're acting like the world around us. Is there room enough in the body of Christ, when it comes to disputable matters, not black and white doctrine, is there room enough in the Lord's church For me to disagree with a brother or sister on some disputable matter and still love them and be willing to give my life for them, is there room for that? Is there still room in the body of Christ? If I've had a disagreement with a man over something that's disputable, is there still room for me to say that man meets God's qualifications that he needs to be an elder? Is there room for that? If there isn't room for that, we need to question whether or not we're the Lord's church. If the blood of Christ is not enough, if the blood of Christ is not enough so that brother A, who believes this matter of opinion, and brother B, who believes this matter of opinion, cannot still love each other and be part of the same body, we better check ourselves and make sure we're the church. It's that simple. Does Jesus bring peace? Does Jesus bring comfort? Does Jesus bring unity? Does he? It's what we tell everybody, right? We have no right to tell them that. And then misuse or not forgive a brother and sister who has a difference of opinion with us over some disputable matter. Go to your brother. Of course, verses 16 and 17 say if he doesn't listen, bring somebody else and all of that. But remember, we're talking about a man who meets all of God's biblical requirements to be an elder in his son's church, so it should never go beyond verse 15, ever. Shouldn't have to. Unless, of course, the one who goes to that brother refuses to repent of their part of the problem then there needs to be further discussion. And you know, I think that's the reason why sometimes we don't go to a brother or sister. I brought this up before, and I'm gonna bring it up again. I think sometimes in the church, over the years in church, I mean, I became a Christian in 1985. To some of you, I know that sounds like a lifetime ago, but some days it feels that. no. But I think one of the biggest reasons why we don't go to a brother or sister we got a problem with is because it's easier to tell everybody else who doesn't know what the real issue is so we can get them on our side. Because if they're only listening to us, they're going to take our side, right? Is that, pretty, is that fair? If, if I go to Kirk and I say, hey, yada, 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 and he only hears my side of the story, guess, guess who he's going to agree with? So it's real easy for me to go you know, to Darren or to anybody and say, hey, bang, bang, bang. They'll agree with me because they don't have a clue with the other side of the story. Is. But the reason we don't go to the brother or sister who knows the other side of the story is because we're afraid if we do. And they know the other side. I might be challenged that part of the problem is mine. That I'm responsible for part of the problem because, see, they know the whole problem. And I might have to admit that I made a mistake, and I might have to admit that I've got to change, and I might have some things to work on that I don't want to face. So I'm not going to that brother or sister. And that's usually why we don't go, as it says in Matthew 18 and verse 15. But remember this. No matter what the situation under consideration, eldership or anything else, if you're going to help a brother become better, By helping him remove the speck from his eye, make real sure you can see the situation real clearly yourself because you have first taken the time to remove the log from your own Matthew 7, two through five. Now, before we leave this scenario behind, there are a couple of other vital considerations that we absolutely have to make again the scenario where the man and his wife meet all the qualifications but we have a problem with them becoming an elder the first one is this two other considerations how many of you remember the amazing grace sermon that I preached here two weeks ago on January the 24th how many of you remember that amazing grace sermon most of, all of you okay now it's been mentioned more than once since that sermon how as those who have received God's grace We in turn must pass it on to others as children of God and I want to tell you right now that is absolutely true. That is absolutely right. That is absolutely biblical and scriptural and essential. And here's how we do it. If we have a problem with that brother and his wife becoming an elder and his wife whom God says is qualified because we have a difference of opinion with them or have had in the past over some disputable matter, then we need to extend God's grace to them and let it go. Make sense? We need to extend God's grace to them, that same grace and forgiveness that God gave to us. We need to give them the benefit of the doubt. We need to realize there's nobody perfect. And I know as I've, I know as I've probably preached this sermon series that some of you are thinking, well, Doug, don't think anybody's qualified. You'd have to be perfect. To me. No, you don't have to be perfect to meet that list. If you did, God wouldn't have put it in there because he knows there ain't none of us perfect. Double negative, he knows there isn't any of us perfect. I'm not saying that. We must give our brother or sister the benefit of the doubt in that situation realizing that no one is perfect and as Eric said in one of his Wednesday night classes and I love this line, even the best of men are still at best, only men. And even the best of men and women, the cream of the crop men and women, the best Christian men and women examples that you can possibly come up with, such as those who meet God's qualification for an elder and his wife, are still going to have bad days, aren't they? You think an elder and his wife is going to have a bad day now and then? You think an elder and his wife maybe had bad days in the past? You think maybe they get tired They're going to have bad days wherein they say wrong things or have more of a human and less divine attitude than they typically do because they're only human. And so we must go to that brother or sister and cut them some slack and give them some grace and say, you know what? I get it. It's okay. Therefore, if we can just forgive them and move on as we should to the next situation, that's what we need to do. Don't need to go to them if we can just understand that about this, this particular scenario that we're discussing and just move on, praise God, that's the way it ought to be. But if we can't, if there's something that we just simply personally can't seem to let go of, we can't seem to get past it, then we need to go to that brother or sister, Matthew 18 and verse 15 we need to discuss it with them extend to them the same grace that we had extended to us and that we want to see continue to be extended to us come judgment day please turn to Luke 6 27 through 38 and look at this we have got to extend to them the same grace that we have received and want to continue to receive Luke 6 27 apply this to what I just said Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, according to Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 6 and verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Now, we're not even talking, you brothers and sisters here, we're talking enemies. Well, if I can love my enemies, then I need to be able to love that brother or sister that I had a difference of opinion disagreement with. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. If I can do that, then can't I extend grace to a brother or sister? I gotta. I gotta. This is way over that. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other one also. And from him who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, don't take them back. Don't ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Do you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt? Do ya? Don't just sit there and look at me. Do ya? You? you know what Jesus said? and give them the benefit of the same doubt. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what I just read? Due to them, and of course Matthew seven twelve, we call the golden rule, same thing, moving on, same chapter, Luke 6, 32, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? What's, what's, it's easy to love those who love you, but loving that person that you had a problem with some years ago, sometimes that takes a little work, so put it in. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit's that to you? You don't get any brownie points for that, is the way I read that. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You won't need credit, you're gonna get a great reward. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. Given it be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be put into your bosom. Here it comes. Here's the zinger, here's the punchline. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. What does that mean? That means if I'm not going to cut that brother or sister some slack just because they disagreed with me. That means if I'm not going to extend to them grace and give them the benefit of the doubt and and work through it and just love on them, then guess what? I'm not going to get the benefit of the doubt or an extension of grace either. Isn't that what Jesus said? We must forgive others even as God in Christ forgave us, Ephesians 4:32. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, and 18, 15 through 35. So we need to extend that grace in matters of opinion. However, in that same amazing grace sermon at the beginning, I made another statement, and that was this. Grace is not a license to sin. While we extend grace on matters of opinion, grace is not a license to sin. I put it right up there, on both sides, on a big PowerPoint, remember that? In other words, we cannot misuse grace to say that a man who doesn't meet the qualifications is still okay to be an elder. That's not extending grace. Say, well, you know, this man's married for the sixth time after multiple affairs, but he's only married to one person as far as I know, so we'll cut him some slack. No, no, that's using grace as a license to sin. If we know a man has a problem with alcohol, well, he serves a lot, and he puts a lot of money in the plate, but he's got this drinking problem, you know, we'll extend him some, no, that's not extending him grace, that's abusing grace. That is perverting grace, you know why? Because we're using grace to say to God, I know what you said, but I ain't doing it. That's not extending grace, that's abusing it. That is twisting, turning, Perverting grace into nothing more than a license to sin the same way that so many of the man-made denominations around us do And for which they and anyone else who follows their example will pay the ultimate eternal price. No We can't do that Finally the second consideration before we leave this same scenario behind is simply this Speaking of denominations Have you ever studied with somebody and they seem interested and and they can see what the Bible says and you're showing them things they've never seen before and you keep studying with them and you get right to that point where you come up on baptism. You all know where I'm going with this, right? (laughs) And they say to you, well, yeah, I can see what it says, but I need to go ask my preacher about it. How many of you have ever run into that scenario? Raise your hand. I really want to see him. Nobody? One, two, three, four? Okay. But I, I want to go ask my preacher. I've got to go ask my pastor, which is a totally different thing than a preacher, but they don't understand that because you haven't had that study yet. Okay. So they go, and they, they talk to their pastor, and they come back, and they say, well, I, I can see what God says, but my preacher says that I don't have to be baptized, so I'm gonna go with that. You ever, you ever been there, something like that? What did they just do? Think about what they just did. They took what the Word of God said, they see it, they understand it, they read it, they know what it says, and then they went and asked this human being And when they had the opportunity to either believe God or elevate this person's opinion over God's word, what did they do? They elevated this person's opinion over God's word. That's okay, right? No, that's not okay. It's not okay for them, and it's not okay for us either. And this is what I'm talking about when we can see in that same scenario that this man and his wife, this husband and wife, meet everyone according to the word of God, they are qualified to be an elder and his wife. But we got this brother or sister over here who's got an opinion, even though they meet everything God said, this person's opinion is they wouldn't make a good elder and his wife because they disagreed with me or whatever else you want to fill in the blank with. And so if we take that same scenario and we say, well, we we can't put this man in as an elder because we got this squeaky wheel over here that says they just can't tolerate him being an elder. So if we do that, what have we done? Have we not put the opinion of a man over the word of God? Isn't that what we've done? Everybody with me on this? Can't do that. If God says they're qualified, they're qualified. And if we have a problem with what God said, because we have a matter of opinion or dispute with that person. It might just be a personality conflict. We don't have the right to take our opinion and say, no, sir, that man cannot be an elder. Not when God said he could. Because if we do, we're doing the same thing as the person who goes to their pastor and says, yeah, I can see what God said, but I ain't to do it because the opinion of this man o- over here is, I don't got to do that. Moving on. One of the most oft-overlooked benefits of a sermon series like we are concluding, at least for this part of it, is how it can not only help us now, tonight, in the immediate future, as we go on the next few weeks to more clearly see and identify the husbands and wives whom God has chosen to be our new elders and their wives. That's a, that's a big benefit, but that's not the only benefit of this sermon series. You know another benefit of this? so that these young ladies, young men here in the front row, so some of these other married young men and ladies, some of those young folks up back there that are still in school, okay? It is so they can learn what they need to do in order to become the men and women that God needs in the highest work on the planet so they can learn what it takes to be an elder and his wife, and there is no higher honor. The White House doesn't even compare. Because whoever's in the White House is dealing with lives that are going to end soon. But whoever is an elder and his wife is dealing with eternal souls. They're dealing with forever. As to this week's bulletin, which I mentioned and read an excerpt from earlier, I cannot tell you how critically important it is to read it through, think about it, probably more than once. In that bulletin, you will also notice the following announcement worked into the article. This is for everybody at home. This is for every member of this congregation. It says, upon the conclusion of tonight's lesson, February 7th, the elders have decided to give any member who might possibly want the opportunity two weeks until Sunday, February the 21st, that is, to select from among ourselves and then submit to them for their consideration the names of any brother, names of any brothers here and their wives whom we believe to possess every one of these qualities. That's an announcement. Please understand, you do not have to submit a name if you do not want to. It's not a requirement to get into heaven. It's not, it's not a requirement that you submit a name. There will be people that will. You don't have to if you're uncomfortable with that. and that's, There's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. If you do decide to, however, then please again go through that process of selection or elimination as outlined in this week's bulletin. If upon completion of that process you have a name or two, who meet every single one of God's required qualifications for an elder and his wife, as we have covered, that's why I put the links in there, you can go back and check. Then please submit those names, along with your name as the submitter. Don't forget that. This was in a text that went around here a week and a half or so ago with the elders. When you submit the names, name or names, and there's, I'll just leave it at that. When you submit the name or names, Put those names in there. You don't have to write them a lengthy letter explaining why. Should be pretty obvious. And then put your name down, Submitter. John Q. Christian, whatever. You know why? You have to do that, okay? You have to do that so that if the elders need to come back and talk to you as to something about the name of the person you submitted, they will be able to. And this, these submissions need to be in writing. Again, this went through the text. Please don't call one of the elders tonight and say, hey! <laughs> Put it in writing so they'll have it. You ever wish you'd written something down? Well, this is pretty important. Write it down. Now, it's okay if it's a text. Is it okay if it's a text? Text okay? Where did it go? Okay, guess you're the man, you're the man here, brother. Written's probably better. Written's probably better. Email. Snail mail. Notebook, paper, and pen, you remember those? Put it in writing so that they have a collection of those men and their wives who meet these. You have two weeks to do that. As we get ready to conclude tonight, Putting the wrong man and his wife in the White House can be devastating, can't it? Putting the wrong man and his wife in as an elder in the Lord's Church is so many light years beyond that when it comes to being devastating, we can't afford to make a mistake. I cannot overemphasize the importance of the situation that we are about to undertake over the next two weeks. The results of what we do over the next two weeks and the few weeks I probably will say, however long it is until new elders are put in That whole situation is going to affect this congregation for the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. And beyond into eternity because the decisions that these men make the leadership that these wives provide amongst the ladies in the congregation and the decisions that are made are going to determine what kind of congregation Shoto Hills is when our teenage kids now are grandparents I can't stress overstress how important this is I'm gonna ask before I give the invitation that you might join me in prayer Our Father in heaven, there's no greater honor or blessing than what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. You've made us a part of your son's church. You've washed away our sins. You've put in place a mechanism that continually cleanses us as we confess our sins. And you have allowed us to represent you here on this earth as members of the body of Christ. That humbles us to the point that we physically just want to get down on our faces and worship. What an awesome God and what an awesome privilege. And Father, as you have structured your church, you have told us exactly what you want. We must have elders. We must have men and their wives who meet certain qualifications, and you've made them real clear. We need to have deacons and their wives who meet your qualification list. And Father, we pray that you will help us over the next two weeks as a congregation to recognize those through the scriptures, to put on the lenses of scripture, and to truly see clearly those whom you have chosen, Father, Thanks to you, thanks to your word, thanks to your grace, thanks to your love and mercy. We have a lot of wonderful Christian servants in this congregation. We have people that serve in so many different ways that give of their time, their money, their efforts, their means to serve you in so many ways that none of us can begin to count them all. But Father, we also understand that not every one of the servants here Meets every one of your righteous qualifications to lead us in the fashion that you have outlined. We pray that you will help our first allegiance always be to you, and that we will submit that one or two, possibly even three names that are the ones that you have shown have risen to what they need to be as Christians to the point that you want them to be elders in your church. Guide our hearts, guide our minds, and Father, help those men and their wives who are approached thereafter because their names have been submitted. Father, if they are qualified, help them to take on the work we need. The beloved elders that we have now To have some more assistance they're carrying an awful load right now they need help we need help we pray that by following you in this you will bless us because we know that's what you do if we will but follow you we love you we thank you guide us father in Christ's holy name Amen Night, if you are not part of that flock which he purchased with his own blood, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, says to the elders that they are to shepherd the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. The Holy Spirit put down the qualifications and where to use those glasses. But, talks about there the flock that he purchased with his own blood, if you are not part of that flock, if you are not part of the church, if you are not Amongst those who have been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins to have their sins washed away Purchased with the precious blood of Christ. We'd love to welcome a new brother or sister into Christ tonight. Wouldn't that be awesome church? If you're to that point, why are you waiting? Or maybe you're somebody who's a young person and you're saying you know what? I Want over the next How many every years the Lord may bless me with, I want one day to aspire to the work of being an elder or an elder's wife in the Lord's church. I want your prayers that I will be the right type of of person. I want to make the right decisions, and I need God's wisdom and guidance. Or if you have any other prayer requests, will you please don't just sit there in the pew. We're here to help you. We'll help you in any of those ways we can. Come down front. Let us pray for you. Let us baptize you. Let us help you to become all God wants you to be, whatever that way may be as we stand and sing.